0: and welcome to the Tidewater Midstream and Infrastructure Limited second quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star one on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to your speaker today, Joel Vora, Chief Financial Officer. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Thanks, Chris. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Tidewater's second quarter 2020 conference call. On the call with me today is Joel McLeod, Tidewater's President and CEO. Before passing the call over to Joel, as usual, for a review of the quarterly highlights, I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made today are forward-looking in nature based on our expectations, estimates, judgments and projections, forward-looking statements we may express today are subject to risk and uncertainties, and actual results may differ from expectations. Further, some of the information today refers to non-GAAP measures, and to know more about these forward-looking statements and non-GAAP measures, you can refer to our various financial reports, which are all available at tidewatermidstream.com or on CEDAR. Uh, with that, I'll pass it over to Joel McLeod uh, for a review of the quarterly highlights.
2: Thanks Joel. Good morning everyone and thank you for joining our Q2 2020 conference call. Since our last conference call in mid-May, we are pleased to say that we have seen a material improvement in our business and we are nearing pre-COVID cash flow levels. Our Q2 was in line where we delivered a record quarter with $41.9 million of adjusted EBITDA and an over 90% increase year-over-year on a per-share basis. We see a strong second half of the year where we are reiterating guidance of 175 to $185 million of EBITDA. Our number one priority remains deleveraging and free cash flow generation. And we are confident in our ability to achieve our target of three to three and a half times debt to EBITDA with the closing of the Pioneer Pipeline sale. We remain impressed by the re- resiliency of our business through COVID and this is the result of the location and contracted nature of our assets with over 70 percent of our ebitda coming from long-term agreements and approximately 50 percent of our ebitda from investment grade counterparties over the past three months we have seen our seen three of our largest customers all access capital and again wish to thank our customers for their support We congratulate the kelp team on their sale of their inga fireweed property and will eliminate all debt, and they will be sitting on cash. Further, we saw Pipestone Energy, one of our other large customers, access $70 million of convertible preferred equity and accelerate their capital program, and wish to congratulate them. And last, we saw our largest customer in Husky access $1.25 billion of debt at an impressive 3.8% interest rate. Great to see three of our largest customers strengthen their balance sheets. Our business, although not untouched, has remained resilient and to only to have an impact of 10 to 20% to our business has been an impressive accomplishment. We are not aware of another infrastructure company in Canada that delivered adjusted EBITDA per share growth of over 90% year over year in what is likely to be one of the toughest quarters of our generation. It is important to also note that we will be one of the only companies that is a leader on the recovery. And we have seen demand in diesel and gas, gasoline increase dramatically in the past 60 days and demand is currently outpacing production at Prince George, where throughput is currently over 12,000 barrels a day after several successful debottlenecking projects. We are likely to continue to see significant government stimulus and intensive infrastructure capital deployment period over the next 12 to 24 months and Tidewater is positioned very well to take advantage of this. This includes some of the largest capital projects in Canada and even North America in and around Prince George including Site C Dam, Coastal Gas Link, LNG Canada and the Trans Mountain Pipeline, all of which are multi-billion dollar projects. We have seen a significant activity ramp on Coastal Gas Link which runs just north of Prince George. Further, the activity around the Montney over the past three months has been significant, with Conoco stepping in and paying over $500 million for Keltsinga fireweed property, and more recently, CNRL purchasing painted pony in the BC Montney. This further validates the prime location of our assets and infrastructure, including our Prince George refinery and related tankage and infrastructure. To see several refineries across North America And the world realize negative margins in Q2, while our margin at Prince George has held above $44 a barrel, also emphasizes the strategic nature of our assets and infrastructure. To see the Marathon Martinez Refinery in California announce closing later this year, and yesterday to see the Phillips 66 Rodeo Refinery announce conversion to renewable diesel are both very positive for Prince George as diesel and gasoline production on the west coast will be reduced significantly and Prince George remains advantaged with our Canadian crude supply. We continue to forecast an increase in adjusted EBITDA of approximately 80% from 2019 to 2020 and are one of only a very few companies that have 80% of per share EBITDA growth from 2019 to 2020. We do expect to continue to deliver material debt adjusted per share EBITDA growth into 2021. Counterparty risk continues to be a focus of the market and want to reiterate that 50% of our EBITDA is from investment grade counterparties, with Husky being our largest customer on the five year offtake at Prince George. As previously mentioned, to see our three largest customers access material capital and improve their balance sheets over the last three months reiterates the strength of our customers and contracts. We currently are not aware of any material customers being at risk of going into receivership. Prince George continues to perform well, where Q2 was impacted by reduced demand in April, which quickly recovered in May and into June. And we have seen demand levels at or above pre-COVID levels for the past couple months. Q2 was also impacted by our two-week maintenance and debottlenecking bottlenecking program on the refinery where we, successful, where we were successful in debottlenecking the refinery and are now seeing over 12,000 barrels a day of throughput. When we acquired Prince George, we emphasized that this would be a key defensive asset in a crude collapse and although not completely immune, we have seen Prince George cracks sprints hold at $44 a barrel or above what is likely to be the largest oil price shock that we will see in our careers. While deleveraging remains our focus, we continue to grow our significant uh, material-related projects that are are under 24-month payouts. Capital expenditures are currently planned to be minimal in 2020 as we focus on deleveraging but do want our shareholders to be aware that we do have a significant inventory which continues to grow of projects with 50% plus rates of return. The Pipestone gas plant had its strongest run times and cash flow generation to date in the second quarter and we expect this to continue throughout the remainder of 2020. Tidewater processed an average volume of 72 million cubic feet a day in the second quarter of 2020, an increase of 10% over the first quarter. Liquids production also increased by 65% with the commissioning of the Pemina C2 Plus line and the deep cut processing unit. Facility uptime and availability for the quarter averaged 96 and 92% respective, respectively. The Pipestone gas plant is fully contracted with over 80% committed on take-or-pay arrangements. Throughput on the pipe Pioneer Pipeline continue to be strong and is supported by a 15-year take-or-pay contract with Transelta the sale of the Pioneer pipeline continues to proceed where we believe where the definitive agreement was executed on June 18th and Tidewater expects to close the transaction by year-end 2020. However, delays in obtaining regulatory approvals could delay the expected closing date into 2021. We continue to be committed to our ESG performance by investing in infrastructure to increase energy and natural resource efficiency, reduce emissions and enhance environmental performance. We have developed an interface on our website for the investment community to view as part of our transparency to communicate key environmental safety and other sustainability metrics. Adwater is evaluating certain small and and medium-scale green projects in conjunction with government funding programs at many of its sites, including our Prince George refinery. To reiterate, after enduring what is likely the worst shock to the global economy and the oil and gas industry, we do feel the worst is behind us and we are well positioned for what is likely to be one of the largest economic stimulus and infrastructure build-out periods in our lifetime. Our business remains resilient as a result of the location and contracted nature of our infrastructure assets, accompanied with strong defensive assets. We are confident in our ability to deliver $175 to $185 million of adjusted EBITDA in 2020, with debt to EBITDA, assuming the closing of the Pioneer Pipeline sale, to be 3 to 3.5 times at year end. Our focus remains free cash flow generation and debt reduction and we do feel strongly that we can continue to show material debt-adjusted cash flow per share growth for years to come. We are also pleased to welcome Mr. Michael Selman, Mr. L- Mr. Neil McCarran of Birch Hill Equity Partners and Ms. Gail Yester to the Board of Directors. I do want to thank our staff, board shareholders, credit syndicate partners and all stakeholders for all your support through what was likely one of the toughest quarters in our careers. We look forward to delivering strong results in the second half of 2020 and remain confident in our ability to deliver debt adjusted per share free cash flow growth into the future. Our number one priority over the next six months continues to be debt reduction and achieving three to three and a half times debt to EBITDA with the closing of the Pioneer Pipeline sale. I'll pass it back to Mr. Bora, and he can walk you through some of the details around the financial side of our Q2.
1: Thanks, Joel. Uh, I'll um, just go over a brief overview of the quarterly highlights, um, mostly a, a comparison to Q1, given significant changes in the business from the same period in in, in the prior year. Uh, I think more appropriate to compare to to, to Q1. Uh, starting with top line revenue of approximately 178 million, it was. A decrease <clears throat> um, over uh, Q one primarily related to uh, the change in commodity prices. We had a commensurate decrease in operating expenses of approximately thirty percent, which resulted in gross operating margin of approximately uh, adjusted for hedging gains of approximately twenty three percent versus eighteen percent in the uh, in the prior quarter. So although revenue moved down, operating costs also moved down and overall uh, adjusted operating margin uh, for hedging gains increased uh, from 18% to 23%, primarily as a result of uh, uh, increased contribution from the Pipestone gas plant, uh, the connection to, uh, uh, to the Pemina pipelines and, and um, uh, the uptime that, that uh, Joel McLeod mentioned. Uh, adjusted operating margin was approximately 43.5 million compared to 45 million in, in the prior quarter. so so in line and, and in line with our expectations given uh, impacts from COVID in late Q1 and, and in early Q2, and then again saw a, a pretty uh, quick recovery into uh, the end of May and, and into June. Uh, EBITDA margin uh, was approximately, 42 million and and 23 uh, percent again uh, increased uh, contribution from Pipestone Gas Plant being in the summer injection season. Also the uh, increased margins from from gas storage, which is a, a high margin business, higher margin in the summer, uh, and then a, a little bit of a uh, impact in the early part of the quarter from the refinery. Uh, but overall. Adjusted EBIT of approximately 42 million and an EBITDA margin of 23%. Uh, distributable cash flow was 10.5 million for the quarter, a payout ratio of, of approximately 32%. Uh, we're generally targeting under 25% payout ratio uh, for the year. Uh, maintenance capital would have been one of the drivers uh, for that distributable cash flow number, which uh, was our planned two-week outage at uh, the Prince George refinery, uh, but expect that distributable cash flow number uh, to increase uh, uh, and be sub 30% and even sub 25% uh, for Q3 uh, and, and, <clears throat> and Q4. Um, again uh, committed to uh, reducing debt, uh, applying free cash flow uh, to, to that net debt uh, amount, net debt decreased approximately. Um, $9 quarter over quarter, uh, which I think was sort of in line with expectations, not a a massive movement from from Q1 to Q2, but that uh, number and and deleveraging to increase into the end of the year. Uh, I think with that, um, we've touched on the the main financial highlights, and uh, I think we'll open it up to um, the call for questions.
0: Thank you, at this time I would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Patrick Kenny of National Bank Financial. Your line is open.
3: Yeah, hey guys, um, just starting with the closing of Pioneer, uh, you're still shooting for year end, but with respect to mitigating any delays there, can you just provide some detail on you know what you guys can do specifically, to expedite the approval process and maybe at the same time just clarify what the bottlenecks are
2: that could push closing towards mid-next year yeah for sure Pat um not necessarily an easy answer I think we just want to assure our shareholders that it's daily our, our partners in Transelta has been a, a huge help and and uh, full-court press to, to move through the regulatory process so step one is to, to make uh, all the related filings and, and we're close to doing so um, and then just ensuring we have all, all our ducks in a row to be as supportive as possible um, but I uh, want to assure our shareholders that it's all hands on deck we're not uh, all the way on holidays uh, 50% plus of our staff are in the office and it's full court press I think some of it Pat we'd like to keep it internal and confidential just so we don't set off any alarms or flags Through the process, and overall, it's going well. uh, And we're feeling, I'd say, good about closing before year end, but there is risk that we slip into Q1. Okay, fair enough. You know, thanks for that. Uh, And then, speaking of, you know,
3: somewhat confidential agreements, but the Husky force majeure, I mean, didn't appear to be a big factor in the quarter at the end of the day. Like you said, you know, June demand pretty much back to normal there. But maybe just an update on uh, Husky potentially backfilling any volume commitment shortfall that was experienced back in April and and May, Um, you know, potentially coming back through the, you know, the remaining months of 2020 here and and if that revenue recovery is baked into your 175 to to 185 EBITDA guidance or does that represent a, a bit of upside potential to those numbers?
2: Yeah, Pat, Husky's been a great partner. Uh, obviously, we we always got to think through risk and definitely had legal counsel ready, um, but to see uh, Prince George demand recover as quick as it has, and, and Husky's been doing an incredible job and going out of their way, we've seen, I'd say, record lifts, we've seen days where we see as much as 10,000 barrels a day of diesel only move, uh, especially with coastal gas link ramping up. Uh, we get an updated forecast from Husky and right now they're they're set to meet and or potentially exceed their offtake, which is pretty exciting. So uh, would I say there's significant upside to our base 175 to 185 of EBITDA 2020? No, no, I wouldn't say it's material or significant, but there's definitely some upside there and continue to see uh, more growth in demand than we definitely would have anticipated. Okay, great and then i know it's still early days on the biofuels
3: frontier or you know even the low carbon fuel standard opportunities but maybe you can just give us a sense as to what sort of capital commitment we're looking at here um and outside of the the ESG accretion um i think we saw 50% irrs in the release just how should we be thinking about upside potential to your your run rate ebitda from these uh, more green investments
2: Yeah, Pat, I'd say it's a little early to say. Um, Even when we acquired the Prince George refinery, the team Husky uh, prior owner did a great job, continually received uh, LCFS part three credits, low carbon fuel standard credits. Um, Example would be before we took over the refinery on the turnaround, uh, they changed the catalyst to run um, canola oil and co-process canola oil. Uh, So we're still evaluating if we're actually going to, do that, we're continuing to work through the studies, continue to keep it moving forward and do have some Part Three credits that we'll receive even into the end of the year. Um, and uh, the, the funding on that piece is near 100%, which has been, been very helpful. As we speak today, we don't have anything of significant size and scale, so we're talking about more of studies in that $1 to $5 million round even combined with all the pieces. I think that the larger discussions are on, um, a full renewable diesel component, but again, we'd like to keep some of that confidential, and today there's no certainty. We wouldn't even be 30 40 50% uh, certain, but we want to do the studies, do the work, and if all goes well, we're more than happy to to evaluate, it and the support from even the federal and the provincial governments, may, maybe there is a, a higher probability, and we're excited to to explore those opportunities. Okay,
3: no, that, that that's helpful, Joel. Um, and then last one for me, if I could, just uh, on gas storage fundamentals, you know, looking I guess fairly attractive heading into this winter. Can you just remind us uh, between Pipestone and Brazo, how much is contracted versus available for you to take advantage of any strength and spreads through the winter. Yeah, good question,
1: Pat. I I'd, I'd say um we're generally uh we're we're generally contracted. We'd be north of 80%, that being said, we have seen operationally uh the reservoirs exceed our expectations at at times, but when we look forward to the winter, I'd say we're north of 80, maybe even north of 90 percent uh, contracted, with a little bit of a, a, a cushion there. So I'd say there's there's some ability uh, to utilize uh, some of that space ourselves, but for the most part, we are uh, f- fully contracted. Um, you know, obviously, if we if we see some volatility in gas that obviously always helps
3: uh, storage. But for the most part, those those reservoirs are fully contracted. Okay, that's great. Thanks guys. I'll jump back on the queue.
0: Thanks, Pat. Your next question comes from Rob Hope of Scotia Bank. Your line is open.
4: Yep, morning everyone, uh or afternoon.
3: Um just taking a look at uh, PGR, you know, with your Q one results you're you know targeting around seventy five million bucks there. Uh, you no, know, we have seen demand kind of pick up uh, stronger than anticipated, and, and cracks remain. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it robust. You know, how did Q2 play out, and how does the rest of the year look uh, versus your prior
2: guidance? Uh, Rob, good question. I'd say April was definitely an underperformance, mainly due to demand with COVID and and demand moving down. We also had our two-week maintenance. So, want to be upfront and admit that April underperformed, but to see demand come back as quick as it did, May was probably close to in line, maybe a touch under, but with refined product pricing moving up and crude being relatively cheap that we had moved into our tanks, May probably was in line and then June, I would say, was getting close to kind of a, an outperformance month on that base $75 million of EBITDA and uh, we, we are hopeful that that will continue here into the end of the year. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we do see our daily demand, and today things are, are feeling pretty darn good. All right, that's helpful. Uh,
3: and then when when you're speaking about these, you know, we'll call it quick payback uh, projects. You know, I, I realize that debt repayment will be a focus over the next six months, but you know, how big is a portfolio of these projects, and you know, how quickly would you want to move on these
2: uh, following uh, a pioneer close? Yeah, We're starting with small projects, butane blending would be a great example, kind of a magnitude of a million dollars um, and sub two-year payout, but we've also de a lot of our units. Uh, we're working through our unit finder. we did de-bottleneck our ISOM unit and our reformer were close to de-bottlenecking and these are hundreds of thousands of dollars, pump changes, uh, and some are even changing valves or, or testing control valves. So again, our team's done an incredible job um, and, and uh, seeing opportunities. So if you said, Joel, a small one's interesting, helpful. Um, I would say we're not spending a lot of time yet on big expansions, uh, a 20, a 50, a $75 million expansion for us to have success on these low capital, high rate of return projects is, is meaningful and we have to focus on deleveraging today but over the next two four six months i do think we'll have some meaningful uh capital projects of size and scale i think the question will be can they truly hold sub two year payout so i'd say we have an inventory of 10 plus projects um, none over $3 million, to give you a sense, so we haven't been spending time on uh, a new FCC unit, uh, a new crude unit, um, a major tankage build-out, as today it's been smaller projects, high rate of return, uh, but over the next three, six months, I think we'll start looking at some of those bigger projects, especially if we have government funding. On, uh, on some of the green projects, then there is potential that those returns are are strong. But we don't want to set the expectation that we have 50 and $100 million projects today that are we know are going to be sub two-year payouts.
4: All right, appreciate the color, thank you.
2: Thanks, Rob.
0: Your next question comes from Robert Gatelier of CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, good
4: afternoon, everybody. Uh, first question is uh, on your outlook for 2021. So uh, if the drilling continues at the current pace, which I think we can all agree is pretty anemic, um, what degree of throughput declines are possible in light of um, the relatively high level of contracting you have?
2: Yes. Yeah, so do you mean declines, Rob, kind of around our assets, if to your point, drilling activity stays? What would we see yeah. at kind of our, our main act? Yeah. So, so Prince George, as a refinery, we wouldn't have a concern today. There's, uh, the refinery is small, which is helpful. It's only a 12,000 barrel a day refinery compared to the production in BC, and that we can bring in Pipestone itself um, is fully contracted. So, it's a good point. But to see KELT uh, remove all their debt, now they're focused on Wembley slash Pipestone and Oak. Uh, our sense is they're probably going to drill a couple wells. I don't want to speak for themselves. Um, and obviously, if we see uh, a continued up, uptick in commodity price, they, they could accelerate. Pipestone Energy itself did raise $70 million on their convertible preferred and did come out and say, we are going to accelerate capital, and that's right in, right in our backyard, which is helpful. So I would say Pipestone, you, you probably see production fairly flat, and we are, are fully contracted. Uh, If we go to a Brazil, I want to kind of go in order of magnitude and materiality. If we go to Brazil River, uh, this is public data, but you'd see Westbrick continuing to run one rake, which has been helpful. And we've been able to hold Brazil volumes fairly flat and potentially even increase with Kiera shutting in some of their plants and producers uh, asking if they can get into Brazil. But again, want to be careful not to overpromise and say Brazo River is going to have a a massive ramp in throughput. I think if we said uh, we expect it to be fairly flat, that would be conservative. Um, Ram River itself, which would probably be our next largest uh, chunk of cash flow, uh, has been fairly flat. But this morning, ACO at above 2.30 is helpful. Uh, We saw Paraday, one of our, our larger customers, release the results and they generated I think around 15 million of quarterly cash flow. So that dollars 210 gas price is very helpful to even a Ram river. Uh, so our view would be if gas prices hold where they do or are they in line with the forward strip and oil uh, yeah, we would probably conservatively say a five to 10 percent decrease. but as we walk through our core assets today we don't necessarily see, a big move down and I'd say gas price would be the driver and be helpful at Ram River and Brazil where liquids pricing would be more of the driver up at Pipestone
4: uh, It's uh, it's very good detail the five to ten percent though seems like a lot relative to the Contracting of the tools you have at uh, some of the plants uh, yep, But maybe for sure. we could uh, segue into the, the marketing business there was a comment in the um mdna that uh the marketing business has found new ways to enhance producer netbacks and create uh some operational flexibility can you um provide a little bit more color on that please
2: for sure for sure. our pemina c2 plus connection came online at pipestone which is very helpful to liquids marketing to the producers um we are able to deliver a small ethane premium to producers which uh, four or five years ago, even prior to Tidewater, I'd never seen ethane premiums. So that, that comes from uh, initially from Brazo and our team doing a great job of, of negotiating with some of the large ethane buyers at Edmonton. So that would be a lever that Pipestone has and is significant. And even to have now the C3 molecules, the C4 molecules uh, tied in at Pipestone gives us another lever to help optimize, improve customers' netbacks, but leverage some of our relationships and our rail cars to, to find new markets, that's probably the biggest lever on the marketing piece. Um, the refined product piece, I would say, we do expect to see dislocations, and we have seen some. When we saw demand in April get get crushed at Prince George, uh, we had to get creative, uh, leverage off some of our historic relationships, and move refined products outside of Prince George and uh, uh, Pacific Northwest on the U.S. side to even Eastern Canada. And our team did a great job. There, So that would be another piece that we're excited to continue to grow and and explore.
4: Okay, final question from me is, uh, we've seen a number of cost reduction uh, programs in the industry. I wonder if there's a similar opportunity for Tidewater and then uh, should we expect any other asset sales in, in the second half or 2021?
2: so cost reduction I may get Joel to jump in I know at Brazil River team's done a great job there to to find some options definitely across our assets uh, for the first time uh, as as most of you know we've been on the offensive and been very aggressive over the past 4 years we've had time to reflect internally and optimize to your point Rob, I know Brazil Rivers a, an area where we've had success but across all our assets we've been able to to trim costs um, I'm trying to think of specific examples and I'll let Joel jump in. Can you think of any other specific examples, Joel? I know in general it's yeah. just grinding through costs, even maintenance. You'll yeah. see from our quarter we're, we're under um, forecast, under budget as we speak, and it's a function of labour being hungry to work and, and having five, four and five-year history. I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but for Tidewater it's a big deal to have four and five-year history with some of the contractors. And they want to work rather than sit at home, so they're willing to bring their rates down. But, Joel, anything else you think I'm missing? No, I I think i just reiterate
1: those comments, Uh, Rob. We were sort of towards the end of 2019 into Q1. 2020, we were in hunker-down mode. So, you know, when things um, started to shut down into Q1, we had put a lot of those measures in already, cutting CapEx, looking at maintenance capital. Um, you know, three-year type turnaround of them to four years; those those types of things, and then even you know, looking at vendors' operating costs at at, at all the plants. So we had started that initiative before um, you know there was a, a, a big downturn. But I would reiterate the comments that in Q2 we probably saw. Um, uh, maybe even more than we would have expected, some some opportunities in cutting costs. Brazo would be the biggest example. Um, looking at opportunities at, at our other larger assets, I know the Pipestone team. Um, you know, we we don't have 12 months under our belt yeah. yet at that plant, but that would be one where uh, you know commissioning through Q4, and then uh, you know a, a pretty early uh, cold winter the team is now getting close to having a year under their belt at the plant and I would say that's probably the next biggest opportunity and and they're uh, laser focused on reducing opex there so um, a, a lot of it has been looked at and, and we saw some of that come to fruition in Q2 but yeah there's some more opportunities I think pipestone might be uh one of the other examples and then you know there's a number of optimization opportunities even outside opex now that you know we've we've had some time to focus internally
2: and rob you had a second part to your question we want to make sure we answer it
4: yeah just on asset sales should we expect anything else on the asset sale front in the next uh six to 18 months
2: Yeah, I mean, they're small. The pieces we're looking at are small. I think in our previous quarter, you probably saw and most saw the small gain from the sale of one of our small ancillary businesses. And yeah, we're working through a few others, but they're small. We're talking sub $6 million uh, type of pieces, even at times, maybe a million-ish dollars, just to focus our staff. um, To your point, Trim, even a little bit of G&A, but focus our team on our larger contract assets. So I would say, Rob, unlikely you'll see anything material, but you may see a 3 or $4 million piece or a $1 million piece even to reduce some liabilities here into the end of the year. But no guarantees. It's still pretty tough to get deals done, uh, given the uncertainty in, in general.
0: Okay. Thanks, everybody.
2: Thanks, Rob.
0: Again, if you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan of RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
5: Hey, good morning. Um, first question here is just on the payout ratio. And in the first quarter, the language was uh, for it to be under 30%. And now you've introduced that range of 20 to 30%. And you mentioned earlier on the call that you're targeting potentially to be below 25%. But just wondering, what's um, what was behind? Introducing the twenty percent on the low end, is that just tightening up the guidance range, or are you looking at a potential to actually uh, modestly increase the dividend
3: yeah it's a a good question
1: uh, Robert, I think um, you know we're we, we've got a little more certainty on where the payout ratio is, is going to land q one uh, q two would have impacted. I would have probably told you uh, end of Q4 2019, we'd be targeting under 20%. Uh, with Q1, Q2, that's moved up, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say 5 to five to 10%, but still expect to be well under 30%. I think we're going to see that, that payout ratio come down and distributable cash flow increase into Q3, Q4. On the dividend increase, it, it's a good question. And, and maybe I, I mean, I, I don't want to, uh, uh, Say, say too much, but you know a, a modest dividend increase isn't overly impactful uh, to cash flow, but at the same time we are focused. number one priority is reducing debt, reducing leverage. Um, so uh, yeah, is there is there a dividend increase behind that guidance? No, not not at the moment, but it's something that we're always talking about, even our board meeting yesterday uh, it, it came up, but are there plans this second? No, but it's something that we're always evaluating and there's potential for that. Got it.
5: Um, just uh, turning to your planned maintenance activities for the second half of the year. Um, and, and I guess, you know, first, just the nature of whatever you know, maintenance we should be aware of and downtime. And the second being you know, just a projection of what the total maintenance capex spend would be in the second half.
1: Yeah, total maintenance capex, I'd say we'd be. Um, Similar to Q2, maybe a a little bit higher. We did defer um, some planned maintenance uh, in in the second quarter, so you you may see Q3, Q4 uh, come in uh, a little bit higher. That being said, we do expect distributable cash flow to be higher, so so I would still expect that uh, metric to to increase. So I'd say. You know, you may have a 20% increase in maintenance uh, capex for Q3, uh, Q4. And then when we talk about downtime, I think we've got, uh, I wouldn't say anything material. There are, um, you know, two, three type day uh, maintenance projects ac- a- a- across the assets, but nothing material. And I-, I wouldn't expect us to have to disclose or guide to any material
2: downtime in the second half of 2020. Just and just to add to that, so so sorry, Rob. Capital maintenance for 2020 still reiterate in that 25 million dollar range, just to help you triangulate to a number. Um, And then as far as downtime, no, we've seen. I think we've seen more down, definitely more downtime in the first half than you will in the second half. Uh, there's no downtime anticipated at Prince George, our largest asset, and at Pipestone, you may see a day or two down by a, a, a small amount, um, but uh, nothing material.
5: Just to clarify. So did I hear twenty five million, but you've only done five and a half in the first half?
1: Yeah, Rob, there's some tank maintenance at, at um PGR that wouldn't result in, in some downtime, some of that potentially. I think with still evaluating whether we end up in Q four ish or we end up in twenty twenty one, our prior guidance would have been twenty five million. I'd I'd you know not saying we're gonna come right on the nose. Um we may come a snick under, but But that's a result of pushing some of that potentially into 2021, but it could also happen late Q4.
5: So there's actually a fairly material pickup on a quarterly run rate basis then into Q3 and Q4, or however it falls, versus what you did in Q2? I
2: think think we just want to give ourselves room to go back to our initial guidance on, and public guidance would be 25-ish million of capital maintenance in 2020. some of it will be COVID-related, work-related. Um, to get a few additional tanks ready to go before the end of the year is ideal, but to Joel's point, some of it may slip into to Q1 of 2021. Got it. Um,
5: if I can just finish on, on leverage, I think it's very clear that you know, the, the number one focus is to get into that three, three-and-a-half times range post-Pioneer. You've also put out the two-and-a-half to three times long-term range, and I guess I'm wondering – is there some color you can give as to, you know, over what time frame you want to get there or put differently post-Pioneer? Do you stay capital light until you get below three times? And does three times then form a ceiling for, for any other larger initiatives
0: uh, as you go forward?
2: It's a good question, Rob. For now, we're focused getting down to three to three and a half times and then two, it'll be a function of our cost of capital. And uh, I think if the market signals by our share price moving up, um, we will start to consider capital projects. But to your question on the dividend, that was also a question from our board as well. Again, there's no commitment to bump our dividend, but when we receive that $138 million from the, the Pioneer, Dale, uh we need, we're starting to determine how we're going to deploy that capital. Number one is definitely debt repayment, but to your point, at what point do we start to allocate free cash flow or a portion of that $138 million? to capital projects. It, it won't be significant initially unless the market signals um, that they're supportive of us going back into growth mode. But right now, we feel it's very clear from our shareholder base to focus on deleverage, get to three to three and a half times, and longer term, we'd like to be down in that two and a half to three time range. Um, But, um, depending on the opportunity as well, the rate of return, the contracted nature of the opportunity, um, we we may uh, look at capital projects, but for the next 6-12 to months, deleveraging and you won't see any material capital projects. That's great.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Rob.
0: There are no further questions at this time, I will now return the call to our presenters.
2: Thanks, everyone. We really appreciate your time today, Um, all your support, and, and have a good day. Thanks, everyone.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
6: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.